We hope you enjoy this message from St. Martin C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. We are going to be finishing our series this morning called Beyond Ordinary. We are, in this series, we have been looking at the book of Acts. We've been traveling through this book. And while this is the last sermon on this series, I want to highlight to you that this is not the last we're going to hear about this topic. Next Sunday morning, we have a fantastic opportunity to hear from you, the amazing people of our church. About six months ago, we did this thing where we did a testimony morning. And we had a number of different people share what God had been doing in their lives. And seeing as this series has been about how God can use us and move through us and do things through us, we thought we would do this again. So, God, we know, has been moving in people's lives. We've heard stories, we've heard whispers of stories, uh, and in the last six months, I'm sure God has been doing things. So whether you shared last time or you didn't share next week, we would love to have you come and encourage us all. So please let me know, let Warren know, either talk to us this morning or via email during the week. We want to know that there are stories out there, and next Sunday morning is going to be completely devoted to those stories. But we do need to know in advance that those are happening. So could you please pray and think about it? We know it's scary, we know it's hard getting up here on the stage and and sharing something. Uh, That's sometimes part of the way God uses you is he gets you to step up and speak when you don't feel like it. But we would love to have you uh, conquer those fears. Be up here. Uh, what we found last time was that it was so encouraging. Who, who was here six months ago for that? Wasn't it encouraging? Wasn't it amazing? So please, even if you did it last time, we would love to hear from you uh, again this morning, uh, next Sunday morning. That would be fantastic. Uh, this morning, as we get into what we're talking about, have you ever thought about who in history you would have over for dinner, if you could have anybody over for dinner? Or if you could spend an entire day with someone from history, who would you spend a day with? Well, in this series, what we have been doing is we have been spending time with Jesus' first disciples. We have walked with them. We've been a fly on the wall in their conversations. We've taken stock of their lives and evaluated what they did. We've been inspired in our own lives that maybe God could do something beyond ordinary with us as well. We've called this series Beyond Ordinary. I was thinking about this title this week, Beyond Ordinary, and I compared it to what maybe some would say is beyond ordinary in our world. We think that we live beyond ordinary when we have a nice house, a house that is a step up from other people's at least. When we earn a decent amount of money, at least a bit better than others in the same field of work. When we're able to do something exciting or adventurous, something we can talk about with others and say, oh, I did this, or put on social media. Often, beyond ordinary is only known through comparison. But for the early followers of Jesus, living beyond ordinary didn't mean any of those things. It meant living for a different purpose and living by a different power. These followers lived for a different purpose. They didn't live uh, by uh, the purpose to see their own advancement, but they lived to see God's kingdom advance through the establishment of his church on the earth. They gave everything to see Jesus' name known. They worked to see this new community expand and to protect that community from internal and external pressures that sought to destroy it. Destroy it. 
So they had a different purpose and a different power. They didn't live by the power of money, of self-fulfillment, or of influence. Instead, they lived by the power of God's Spirit. He was present with them and gave them all the resources they needed to see their purpose fulfilled. So we've been exploring in this series how we too can live by a diff- for a different purpose and by a different power, to be filled with God's Spirit and to see His kingdom come in our lives. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is found in the book of Acts. It is the Apostle Paul, and he's begun his long journey that will end with his eventual death in Rome. He's in Jerusalem saying goodbye to some dear friends, and he says these amazing words. He says, But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And this inspires me to have the kind of commitment to the things of God that Paul had. It should lift all of our faith to be the kind of people that give it all to God. And that's what we want to explore this morning as we come to the end of this series of messages. How the early followers of Jesus stood for Jesus, stood for him amidst difficulty, amidst persecution, and how we could possibly do the same too. The truth is that God's people in the world today still face tremendous persecution. Christianity is the most persecuted religion in the world today. With 340 million Christians, it's about one in eight, suffering harassment or persecution. And this is labeled as extreme persecution in 38 countries of the world. In 2018, 4,000 Christians were martyred. 4,000 Christians died for their faith because they were Christian. That's huge numbers, massive numbers in our world. And persecution might not seem so extreme in New Zealand, but there is an increasing animosity coming on a wide variety of Christian beliefs. Some accept our freedom to worship, whereas others are more vocal in their disdain of the ways of God and the right for Christians to speak and even practice their faith in the way that is consistent with their belief. And I think we can all see times when there has either been ill treatment or there has been marginalization of people within the church and a general uh, emphasis from our society for Christians not to speak and not to express their beliefs because maybe... They're not always in line with the social norms around us. And that is part of the subtlety that we see in New Zealand of persecution. We don't experience it uh, in the same way that, that the rest of the world and some of the rest of the world do. But it's still there, it's still present. So we want to talk about it this morning. And history has shown us that God's peop- how God's people have stood firm in spite of persecution of all kind. People have given their very lives for the things of God. They've stood for God and for his ways. Uh, Every 14th of February, many people celebrate, what do we celebrate on the 14th of February? Valentine's Day. That's right, Valentine's Day. Uh, The people who especially celebrate this are the card, chocolate, and flower companies. They get a, a very good day. But this day is devoted to a real man named Valentine. Valentine, we believe, lived during the reign of the Roman Emperor Claudius II in about the 3rd century. Claudius... Uh, was an interesting emperor. 
He had this particular strategy to get his soldiers to commit themselves to the empire. And that was to outlaw marriage. He didn't mind relationships of any sort. They were all fair game. But marriage was out. Because if you were married, then your ultimate commitment was to your spouse. And he wanted to see his soldiers' ultimate commitment to the empire. So, no more marriage. Valentine couldn't stand for this. And so in secret, he began to marry people. He began to officiate their weddings and to make this still happen. And he got caught marrying people in secret. Claudius gave him a chance to save his life by, by denying Jesus, by denying his faith in God. And he refused. And then he was beaten, he was stoned, and finally beheaded on February the 14th. Puts a bit of a new meaning on uh, Valentine's Day, doesn't it? But the story of persecution is found also in many places in the book of Acts. It's massive in the book of Acts. A few of which we've explored in this week's sermon notes and devotions. We're going to have a look at a couple of instances uh, in the book of Acts to see how the early followers of Jesus coped with this. What did they do that we can learn from? The first is one of the early helpers of the church. His name was Stephen, and he was a great helper. We've got a Stephen who's a great helper in our church too. Don't have to be a martyr. It's all right, Stephen. Uh, But this Stephen was on the administration team. He wasn't a Bible teacher, but someone who helped distribute food. He was ordinary, but what made him more was that he was filled with God's spirit in a special way. Let's read his story. Acts chapter 6, from verse 8. Stephen... A man full of God's grace and power performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day some men from the synagogue of free slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, We heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders and the teachers of the religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, This man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses had handed down to us. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. What is happening in the story of Stephen is actually, if you think about it, a direct parallel with the trial of Jesus. People lie at Stephen's trial. They say he stands against Moses. They say he is against the ten terrorists that backs the efforts of Jesus to destroy the temple. Look at how God honors him. His face becomes as bright as an angel's. This is intentionally ironic. You see, when Moses spent time in God's presence, his face began to shine brightly. They're saying, Stephen hates Moses. Meanwhile, God is showing that Stephen is as close to God as Moses. And what is true of Stephen is true of us too. The moments we are closest to reflecting the character of the divine are the moments we are standing up for God in spite of the difficulty that that brings. Stephen's story ends with his death. He becomes the first martyr of the church before the word martyr even existed. 
Another story, a significant story of persecution, is found early in the book of Acts. As the church gets off to this, gets off to a flyer, as we'd say in sports terminology, we see an immediate response from the powers around them to put a stop to the whole thing. Peter and John are arrested and told to stop speaking about this Jesus character. The religious leaders threaten them not to speak about Jesus anymore. And I don't know about you, but I'd be pretty rattled by all of that. These people who put Jesus to death are telling me to stop speaking about Jesus. That would rattle me. So let's see what they would do. Acts chapter 4, 23. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. Now, how would you finish that prayer? If they have just uh, mistreated you, they've imprisoned you, how would you finish it? I know how I would. Mine would go something like this. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. These guys are threatening us, and they're stopping us speaking about you. Almighty smiter, smite them. <laughs> That'd be my temptation. Uh, and by the way, give us, your servants, great blessings for following you. Amen. That's not how they prayed. Verse 29. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Great boldness. They didn't pray against them. They prayed instead God would empower them. I compare this to the way I see parts of the church responding today when segments of society do things that offend them. Some fight against the, sp- the system, speaking against the rulers of the day. Some stand against groups of people, people with hate and with anger. And I find it really distressing when I see this happen because I see people saying, well, how dare you stop my Christian beliefs and I'm going to fight against you in a very non-Christian way. And I actually see judgment coming against people who do that. And I actually think sometimes that's deserved. No way people respond is to stay silent in the hope of not offending anyone. And the apostles' response to persecution was not like any of this. They did not repay evil with evil. They did not fight for their own rights. Occasionally they would stand up and say, actually, we don't think this is right. There is a place for that. But they didn't fight in the same way many do. They showed love and forgiveness towards their enemies, even forgiving Saul who had persecuted them. As Stephen uh, uh, was being murdered, he forgave those who killed him. And they asked God for the courage not to step back, but to speak for him, and for God to show his reality in the world through signs and wonders and through the witness of those who stood firm in spite of difficulty. They didn't demonize those they disagreed with, as we have with a number of political leaders on both sides. Instead, they knew there would be difficulties following Jesus. And whatever the cost, they embraced it. It's inspiring. And I wonder, when it gets tough, Will we hold our ground with faith and with love? Or will we fight for power? Or will we just back down? I was talking to my dad this week about issues, uh, some of the current issues around at the moment of gender and sexuality and marriage. 
And he asked me, he said, do you see there being difficulties in the years ahead for those in the church who maybe hold to more conservative beliefs when the world's turning increasingly secular? And I'm not someone who likes to get carried away. I, I don't want to catastrophize. That's not what I'm doing here this morning. Uh, but I do think there is going to be increasingly difficult waters to navigate. There will be difficulty, and I do see that there could be less benefits and more restrictions placed on what churches can do, and even on those who place their faith in Jesus. And one part of me is concerned about that, as we should be. But the other part of me knows that actually the difficulty is what Jesus says we should expect. And the difficulty could be what we most need to really give our lives to him in a beyond ordinary kind of way. Matthew 5, verse 11. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. And I intentionally read those three verses together because usually we read verse 11 and 12 and put a full stop on it. And then we go, okay, next section. Jesus talks about us being salt of the earth, light of the world, all of that. But in the narrative here, it just flows straight through. And I wonder if there is a reason Jesus talks of salt and flavor directly after he talks about the conclusion of the Beatitudes, the results of persecution. Could it be that one creates the other? That persecution is the very thing that keeps us flavorsome before the world? Chuck Swindoll shares a story. He says, in the northeastern United States, cod, you know, the fish, cod are a big commercial business. There is a market for eastern cod all over, especially in the sections farthest removed from the northeastern coastline. But the public demand poses a problem for the shippers. At first, they froze the cod and then shipped them elsewhere, but freezing them took away much of the flavor. So they experimented with shipping them alive, in tanks of seawater, nice and safe, natural kind of environment. But that actually proved even worse. Not only did the cod still lose their flavor, but they became soft and they became mushy. The texture was seriously affected. And so some bright spark solved the problem in a really innovative way. They put them in these tanks of water, but alongside them, they put the cod's natural, natural enemy, the catfish. From the time the cod left the east coast until it arrived at its westernmost destination, those catfish chased the cod all over the tank. And you guess it, when the cod arrived at market, they were as fresh as when they were first caught. There was no loss of flavour, nor was the texture affected. If anything, they were better than before. What is true about cod is also true about these, this group of people we call the church. But for obvious reasons, God puts the church in a hostile environment in the world. And from the very inception of the church, she's faced opposition and has gone through and continues to go through some extremely difficult circumstances. 
And through it all, she has not only survived, but she has thrived and grown by leaps and bounds. And the gates of hell have not been and will never be able to prevail against her. And I wonder if one of the reasons for that is the difficulty that it's had to face. And whilst we might think, wow, it's nice to be in New Zealand where we don't face as much persecution, and wouldn't it be bad if there were more restrictions? Maybe it's actually the thing we most need. When I was younger, me and some of my friends were quite into these stories of people who died to see the gospel displayed in all the world. People like Stephen, people like Valentine. And we wondered if that moment ever came for us. Could we stand up and say, yes, I believe in Jesus, and no, I'm not going to deny him. I'm going to stand for him, even if it means my death. We wanted to have faith that was strong enough for that moment. And then my friend asked me something that has always impacted me. He said to me, if we think we're willing to die for Jesus, how come we can't live for him? Oh, that's pretty rough. And here's the thing that my friend was getting at. We say, yeah, we think we could stand up maybe in persecution, but we need to be consistent. The way we face persecution is the way that we will face every other thing in life. If we live for Jesus when life is easy, then we'll find it easier to live for him through persecution. If we do the little things for God, then the big things will become much, much easier. So as we wrap up this series, let's remind ourselves of the little things God calls us to do that will help us to stand when times get hard. Number one, three things this morning. Number one, do what God has clearly said. To live for God, we don't often need to hear a voice from heaven. It's so easy to look for that special voice that tells us the direction to go or the thing to do. But 99% of the time, we can go with what God has already told us to do. Even in the book of Acts and the early church, they definitely had moments where God spoke to them. But also... Most of the time, they were just going about with what he had commanded them originally. He said, go be my witnesses. Go make disciples. And so they went, okay, we'll just go and do that. And every now and then, he'd give them a course direction. But often, they were just following what he had already said, what he had already asked them to do. Another one of my favorite verses in Scripture is Psalm 16, verse 2. It says this, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I love this verse. The interesting thing about this verse is when it says, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Those are two different words for Lord. The first one is the word Yahweh. It means great and mighty, awesome God. And the second one, Lord, is the word Elohim. It it means more of a personal expression of God. In other words, I said to the great and mighty, awesome God, you are my personal God. And apart from you, I have no good thing. Everything in life that I would call good is found in you and is called good because I do it through you. And this speaks about allegiance, that every little thing that God has told us, everything he's commanded, that we would begin to do those things. I will do what you say, God. I will obey your commands. I will treat my barista well. I'll even love my enemies. I'll invest in your church. I'll not only fulfill the requirements of the law, but as the Sermon on the Mount goes on to say, I will fulfill the heart of the law. 
I will witness to others and bring them on this discipleship journey. If you want to have the kind of faith that will stand for God, then begin by giving your complete allegiance to God and see how you standing amidst difficulty is so much easier when you're just doing it all the time anyway. Number two, focus on God. At the heart of this series is the belief that all of our life needs to be focused on God. It's only as we pray and we ask for the life of God's Spirit and for Him to come and make a difference in us that we're able to live truly supernatural lives. So we have to spend time with God every day and we wait on Him to give us all the energy, wisdom and courage it takes to live for Him. And if you get nothing else from this series... May you have a new focus on God and reliance on Him, both individually and in this community of the church family. So do what God has clearly said. Focus on God. And number three, do what God leads us to do. Once we start obeying and praying and hearing from God, we need to step forward and do what He's leading us to do. This will often involve stepping forward and speaking the story of Jesus. We speak about all kinds of things in life, don't we? We speak about things that we're passionate about. Uh, and this week, um, I have been following vicariously the America's Cup. Sometimes uh, it is Warren who comes in and he'll say, Did you see the America's Cup yesterday? Who's passionate about the America's Cup? Any people? Yeah? Yep. Who has someone else in their life who is passionate about the America's Cup? And so they've heard about it. It's about a 50-50 split. And so I didn't see one race of the America's Cup. But I know exactly what happened because Warren would come in and share. And I was interested. It wasn't just going, okay, just be quiet. But the truth is that we do. We all have things that we are passionate about. For me, it's not the America's Cup. But if you want to get me talking, then we can talk about cricket. Or we can talk about the NBA, you know, those Brooklyn Nets, when KD comes back, they're going to be amazing. But we all have that thing, right, that we're passionate about. But we, where God often leads is for us to speak about the things that really matter, to speak about Him. And that's the thing that takes great courage in a world where there is persecution, where there's animosity with his mistreatment, to actually stand up and go, yeah, I'm a Christian. I went to an event on Friday, and while I was there, I was uh, at a law firm, and uh, people said, oh, so how do you know this person that you're coming to support? And I said, well, I'm his pastor. And for most people, that was the end of the conversation. <laughs> it's because they didn't really want to talk to a pastor. I got one good conversation with one person, so that was, that was nice. But actually, if you say you're a Christian, sometimes that shuts the conversation down. But we still need to stand up and speak. And the way we can do this now is that we can practice in our homes. We can read devotions with our kids. We can pray with our spouse. We can talk with our flatmate, with our housemate, and ask the question that really matters. We can say, so tell me, what is God doing in your life at the moment? How radical would that be? And we can get used to and we can normalize being able to speak about Jesus so that when it becomes hard, that's still part of our normal conversation. I often meet up with people and at the end, I always say, hey, can I pray with you? And usually we're in a cafe. Uh, and I've just tried to, and when I first did that, I was very self-conscious about praying for someone in a cafe. 
Uh, but as time's gone on, as I've just continued to do that, that's just become more normal. and never been a problem at all. Why don't we try and stretch ourselves a little bit by speaking for him? We need to do what God clearly says. We need to focus on him and then just do what he leads us to do. If we can do things like that when it's easy, then when it's difficult, it will be so much easier. A friend of mine once went to a country that was closed to the gospel. Bibles were illegal, and he helped smuggle Bibles into this country. While he was there, he went and talked with one of the pastors, released from jail. He'd been in jail because he was a pastor, because he was a Christian. And he released, was released from jail, and my friend talked with him, and he said, what is one thing we in the West can pray for you? We can pray to see God come and do something here. And the pastor said, could you please pray for persecution? And he's like, well, okay, there must be a language difficulty here. Do you mean pray uh, for God's help in the persecution? Or pray that there's less persecution? And the pastor went, no, no, no. I mean, pray for more persecution. And he's like, okay, mind blown. What do you mean? Why do you want more persecution? And he said, persecution makes us strong. Without it, we don't realize our need for God as much. When we're persecuted, we have no other choice, no other choice but to draw closer to Jesus. When persecution comes, when it takes courage to live for God, when it takes wisdom to live for Him, and it takes love to accept others' mistreatment, may we be ready for it. Then we'll truly be beyond ordinary. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.